Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are in the uh, third uh, part of the series called Unstuck. And the truth is nobody, nobody likes to be stuck. We hate being stuck. We don't like being being stuck in any shape, form, or fashion. When I was a kid, I hated going to the, to the bank line. And so in getting stuck, and it was just something incredibly claustrophobic about being in a stuck car on a 105-degree day in a bank line, and there's just cars all around you. You couldn't get out if you wanted to. It's just freaky. I just hated it. And so the one good thing is, is back in that day, they used to send you these little deals of lifesavers. Anybody remember the little deals of lifesavers the bank teller would send you? Or the little pack of gum with two pieces of gum in it. And so, and that was like, you love getting the gum or the suckers. Why do they not do that anymore? There's no gum or suckers or little cute little deals of lifesavers anymore. We need to, we need to get on Facebook and tell the banks we want our suckers back. And so, and, uh, but... It was just frustrating. It was just frustrating to be stuck and stuck where you felt like you couldn't do anything about it. And there's so many times if we can just feel like there's a little bit of progress, then it's like we can hang on. But man, when we hit a place where we are stuck, we are stuck. And we certainly don't want to be labeled with our stuckness. And so some of you may have seen my Facebook post on Friday, and so, but um, my, on Friday, my two little girls, my four-year-old and six-year-old, were playing superheroes, so they, just, they were running around the house, and they were rescuing one another, and Pressy would be up on the second step, and she was like, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall, and Colin would not pay attention to her, and she's like, I'm going to, Colin, I'm going to fall, <laughs> and then she would turn around, and she's like, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall come save me. And so she'd go and save her. And then Pressy decided that we all needed to be superheroes. And so her her superhero name is she was Fast Girl. And so it's a pretty good name for a four-year-old. So she's she's Fast Girl. She's running around the house and making all sorts of commotion. And then she decides that dad is Strong Boy. So so why she didn't say Strong Man, I don't know. There may be something. There may be something there. But... um, and so, but I was strong boy, and at least, you know, for a four-year-old, daddy can lift heavier stuff, and that, that was a big thing. And she looks over at Cutie, and Cutie is folding some laundry, which mother of, uh, and, and running a household of nine people, she's always folding laundry. And so, and she looked over at Cutie, and she says, and you're laundry girl! <laughs> and Cutie did not like that. Because that's one of those roles she's just kind of stuck with. You know, you stop doing laundry, you back out of those things, you quit doing those different things, and things pile up and stink, and it's just a bad deal. And so, but some things you just get stuck. We don't want to be, there's certain labels we just don't want, and we will avoid those things at all cost. And so when we were traveling in 08 and bought a big motor home and big diesel pusher and that was our house on wheels for uh, a good period of time and we were traveling around and when I bought it um, fuel was not cheap the most I paid for diesel while we were traveling was four dollars and 95 cents a gallon and when you got a hundred gallon tank it makes you cry and so and you know how many times you have to start over when they do the 75 dollars at a time 
And so, not, not really. I went to the big rig line. And so, but it, it would take you. There are times they would, I'd get stuck and have to restart. Anyways, but they told me that that thing was going to get six miles to the gallon. Oh, it just like, no, there's no way it's going to get six miles. It's got to get better than six miles to the gallon. And so I would try to figure out how to get better than six miles to the gallon. I'd watch how I would brake and watch how I would accelerate and do all of these different things. Try to just eke out a little bit more fuel mileage. And I had my little dash set where it would read to me and tell me what I was getting fuel mileage real time, like right then. And so I was like, okay, every time I'd go to the pump, and I'd do the math, I'd look at the mileage, I put it would come out to six miles or so a gallon. I mean, uh, per mile, six gallons, you know what I'm saying. And, um, and so it would always come back in that range. But it made me mad because every time I looked at my gauge, every time I looked at my little gauge, it would tell me that I'm getting eight and a half, nine. Maybe everyone's about 10 miles to the gallon. And I'm like, every time I look at it, it's telling me this. And then I go and put gas in there and I do the math and it's six. This is just frustrating. Nothing I'm doing is making it good. And this gauge is lying to me. It is lying. They've programmed this to make you feel better about it. And they just think you won't do the math. Well, I did the math, people. And it was still six. And it frustrated me. And then I noticed. I noticed. I caught myself. That every time I look down to get a reading, I happen to be going downhill a little bit. I happen to be going downhill, and, I, and my subconscious would only look down when I would find a result I wanted. That's the only time I would look, is when they were sitting there and it would give me something I wanted. It was not giving me the reality of what life was really like. I certainly never looked at it when I was going uphill. That big hill about 10 miles before Bernie, no. You don't look at it. It would be sad. And so, but man, I, I, was, I just wouldn't look at it. And I realized, man, we do that with ourselves so many times. So many times. I guarantee you, any of you been on a health kick this year, the only time you've even remotely wanted to get on the scale is when you felt like you was going to see something good. If we think, man, I, yeah, cookie, cookie, whole pie, yeah, no scale today. And so we don't look when that's probably when we need to look the most. That's probably when we need to see. But we tend to want to not have that real time, what, what life is really like in the moment. But folks, if we are going to live a life unstuck, we're going to have to invite God into those real-time, real access where the decisions made, where everything's happening moments. Not just talk to God when we feel like we've got something that's exciting or someplace where we're just flat on our face, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But when we <clears throat> invite God into those real-time moments. Let's go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We've, this is the, our anchor point for this series. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet didn't sin. Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but he navigated it without sinning. He dealt with it. So guess what? So when we go to talk to him about the stuff that's tempting us, he's not blindsided. Folks, this is why the understanding of the grace of God is so important. 
Because if we don't understand how, how much grace God has, how much love he has, how right we are in Christ, simply because of what he's done for us, then we will, we will be sheepish about going to him when we feel like things aren't good. Like, God, I want to give you a good report. Let's not talk about life right now. I'm really not feeling like I'm doing too good right now. Let's just not talk about it right now. I may talk to you when I've, when I've said I'm sorry and I've, and, and, I, and I've fallen on my face. And I certainly want to talk to you when there's a big awesome thing to let's cheer about. But God, right now, I'm just kind of on the fence. And I, that's when we need to talk to him the most. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. He's just talked about temptation, understanding our weakness. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What's our time of need? It's before everything's been done. It's before. That's our time of need. When we're right there on the, on the cusp of decision, that is our time of need. And that's when we need to talk to God the most. Because we're like, God, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I'm going to blow this. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to do this. I'm frustrated right now. I'm angry right now. I'm pretty much, I'm about to go, I'm about to go jack this person up. Lord, I'm sharpening my knife and it's not for the barbecue. You're going to have to help me. Lord, I'm headed out. I'm headed out right now. Lord, help me. I'm so mad. All right, Lord, at this point, just, just have somebody with bail money. Just somebody with bail money. And, and that's the answer we're going to have at this point. And so, but we need to talk to God when all of those pressures and all that stuff, and we feel ourselves between two places. We feel ourselves in the valley of decision. We need to talk to him so that we can come up out of that place, or we will, that valley of decision will end up being a place of stuckness for us. See, we should talk to God, pray when we're stuck. Some people still have this idea that praying is, is this real complicated spiritual thing, that somehow you need to have like, a, like some sort of Bible school, and you need to some new vocabulary, and you need some new stuff going on in your life to be able um, to talk to God, but it's not true. The vocabulary you have is enough to talk to God. Just share with him. Share with him what you're going through. Share with him what you're thinking. Invite him in to those places. See, Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now let's think about these moments when we're anxious, Okay? There's a lot of people dealing with anxiety. There's a lot of people dealing with anxiety. And so, but let's think about the moments when we're anxious, okay? Rarely are we anxious when something good is going on in life. Even something future, good's coming our way. We're rarely anxious when we're like, man, I'm getting a raise next month, and I just don't even know what to do about it. I'm just, <laughs> whew, man, I'm going to need some Tums or something, man. I'm, whew, I'm getting a raise. No extra responsibilities, no extra duties, just more money. Lord, I just don't even know what to do about this. Whew, anxiety's all over me. No, we don't do that. And the truth is, the truth is, is honestly, we don't get anxious about the bad stuff that's already happened. 
We don't get anxious about the bad stuff. We may be upset. We may be sad. Uh, we may be angry about some bad stuff that's already happened. But we're not anxious about it. It's already taken place. So all of our anxiety exists. It is wrapped up in these negative possibilities that still lie before us. Things that have not taken place yet, and we're all a wrap, and that so many of them we have some input in with our choices. So how do we not be anxious about anything? How do we not? We invite God into our part of the equation. We invite God into the, our being a chooser and letting God in on those things and say, God, I'm a little concerned about this thing coming up. I've got to have a, a, a conversation with somebody. And, Lord, I'm concerned because I could see it going good and I could see it going bad. If it goes bad and they act like this, man, the, the ugly parts are going to come out, Lord. You know it's going to come out. And, so, and then we need to have a conversation and invite him in to that murky middle part see first thessalonians 5 15 says make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else and if we're not careful we'll like make a, a mental break that this is a different subject matter he says rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is god's will for you in christ jesus do not quench the spirit. So here's the scenario. Somebody's wronged you. Because he already starts out with don't pay back wrong for wrong. Somebody has wronged you. We're not even going to say maybe you're, you're misperceiving this. or maybe, No, it's just flat wrong. Okay. So he says don't pay back wrong for wrong. That's the old carnal way of doing it. That's the old you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back a little more. We're going to get ahead a little bit. And then it creates this horrible, vicious cycle. Just the bulk of violence that we deal with in our world could come back to wrong being paid back for wrong. If we as Christ followers could begin to find a new way to do life and not pay back wrong for wrong, we would change our culture incredibly. So don't pay back any back, don't pay any back wrong for wrong. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Now you see it says in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. We don't sit there and say, oh man, my boss was just a big jerk. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's the biggest idiot I've ever met. Thank you, Jesus. He is so mean. I can't stand his stinking guts. Thank you, Jesus. It's not... It's not it's not being thankful for all. It's being thankful in all. Why? Let's look at this last little thing he throws in there. If we follow these things, we're not going to quench the spirit. Here's the, here's the truth. As Christ followers, we have the Holy Spirit working in and through and for us. As soon as we begin to take the reins and somebody wrongs us and we begin to step in in a carnal way and try to begin to pay back wrong for wrong or fix the issue on our own or do all of these different things, we've just cut off and quenched the spirit from being able to work. Here's the thing we have to trust. God is up to something in the middle of the wrong. And as soon as we step in and we begin to dig it on our own, we've quenched the Holy Spirit. We've given the Holy Spirit a stiff arm. Say, it's okay, God, I've got this one. 
And then we make a bigger mess and get stuck all the more. Instead, we need to, we need to do what? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's how we let God continue to flow and be God in that circumstance, even in the middle of being wronged. Because then we're not coming in and taking it in a whole different direction. We're at that point living above circumstance. And God loves that because then all the, the junk of this life doesn't knock us all over the place. And then we can leave room for God to work. See, we can talk to God, to our Father, about our struggles because God never tempts us. Folks, we have to have this down pat, okay? We have to understand this. Because if we think that somehow, that in some of the yuck and some of the mess in our life, that somehow God has orchestrated that to try to work in our lives through the yuck, and that God's behind the yuck and behind the temptation, then we won't resist it. Then we won't step in and, and, and come in and let the Holy Spirit really work there. We'll begin to attribute this evil to God, and then all of a sudden we, we begin to, in our hearts, take him out of the picture. We have to know that when the temptation and all that stuff comes, God's not sitting there and playing some sort of mind games with us. So trying to see, well, I'm just seeing if you're really loyal to me. No, goofy, messed up people play those kinds of mind games. Non-trusting, jacked up people play mind games like that. Our God does not play mind games with us like that. He's for us and he doesn't set us up for failure. And we know this emphatically because James chapter 1 says it very clearly. Let's look at verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That can also be translated appetites. <clears throat> then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Let's pause right there. Death is where that is ultimately coming. And there's a lot of appetites that we have been exposed to and cultivated. Some of us have, have been told, you know, somebody wrongs you. Man, you wrong them back. You get in there and you give them their licks back and you do that. And you want, on a certain carnal level, it can feel empowering and like, like you've got that. And you can begin to build an appetite for that. You can begin to build an appetite that, you know what? You better not mess with me. You begin to build an appetite for it because you were exposed to it and you were pushed to it. And, and our natural fallen fleshy parts want that. But honestly, the truth is, if God wants to give new appetites, if I was born in a different part of the world, I would have different food appetites for other things. If I was born maybe in India or someplace, then I would probably enjoy curry and, and like some things. If I was born in other parts of the world, there are other things I would like. I was born in West Texas. I like gravy. That's why I like. So that was, the, that was what I was exposed to, and fried stuff. Fried deer, fried chicken, fried steak. It's all good. And so, but probably not good for you. And I've had to learn to begin to have some of that stuff in moderation because leaving my food appetites uncorrected, um, I'm going to be a lot heavier and a lot less healthy um, than what I ideally should be. And the truth is, is that part of us as Christ followers, 
part of the new creation process is the Holy Spirit working and reworking our appetites. What we find nourishing and desire. And one of these things is inviting God into those moments we are tempted because of our carnal appetites. I want it. I want it. That's where it comes from. I deserve it. I need to do this. And that's where it comes from. So how do we deal with this? We invite God into that decision moment. We invite God into that murky middle place. Verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights and does not change like shifting shadows. We're reminded there by Jesus in John 10 where he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Not will be tempted. Not will be run through the ringer. Will be saved. And they will come in and they'll go out and they'll find pasture. They'll be taken care of. They'll find what they need. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he talks to his disciples there in the garden. Matthew 26, 41, it says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There is this place where a choice is being made. There's a place there. We need to invite God there. Is it a sin to be tempted? No, because Jesus was tempted and yet was without sin. So where's the sin part come? Is when we decide that we're going to go with the destructive appetite. And we're going to feed it instead of feeding what brings life to us. So to deal with that, God wants us to talk to him about our struggles. Let's look at Luke 11, verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, if we read that in this normal, it sounds like that he's having, we're having to beg God. Like, man, God, you might lead us to temptation. So we're really asking you, please don't take us that way. We think you might. We've already established, James chapter 1, declared God doesn't tempt. The, the way the, the Greek syntax and all that works, if we were to put this in an in a English Western mindset, it would actually be lead us away from temptation. And there are some translations who help give us that, that mindset. And uh, the NIR, uh, NIR. RV says, keep us from falling into sin when we're tempted. The message says, keep us um, safe from ourselves and from the devil. That we need to invite God into that murky middle place. Let's go back and let's look at these things that we talked about when we're praying. First, you open up with Father. Say, recognize that he's Father, that he's God, that he loves us. Then we go into this place and we praise his name. Those are some easier places for us to talk about and, and give glory to God. Your kingdom come. God, what you're wanting done, I want to be a part of that. We talk about those things. Give us each our, our daily bread. Lord, I've got some needs. You know it. And we're going to talk about those needs being met. And then forgive us our sins. Lord, I've, I've, 
I have fallen on my face and, and, and I, I don't want to do it anymore and I'm, and I'm not going to do it anymore and, and I just want your forgiveness. And some of those places are easier to talk about, but then he says, and lead us not into temptation, lead us away from temptation. That temptation place is that murky middle. Rarely does anybody want to shout from the rooftops, Woohoo! I'm being tempted. Guess what, people? I might steal something today. Keep your distance. I've got some bills that need to be paid, and if I see some green on you, I'm taking it. Just it might, you know, maybe. You know, I've been reading them. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been praying, and I've been, I think I might, I might not either. But just warn you, stay away from me because I might steal today. Nobody shouts out about the temptation. Nobody shouts out about those different kinds of things. Those are awkward things for us to talk about. And it's really awkward for us to talk to God about it because we see him as the offended party in this old mindset. In the legalistic mindset, we see God as the offended party. So now we don't want to talk to him. But in the grace mindset, that he's here to empower us and be a part of us and walk us through these things, now he's very much should be in the middle of it. Now he's there going to be walk us through and help us through it. But if we have this mindset that he's the offended party, it's going to feel really awkward. Mauricio, come here. Mauricio. You got some, you got 20 bucks? Yes. Okay. Dude, seriously, you better keep away from me. In fact, step over there. No? Because I'm, uh, right now, I, I probably am going to punch you in the face and take that money and leave. Uh, Nat, you're going to have to close the service. And, no, seriously, you've been needed to back up. Because I, I just might. I, I need the 20, and I just might. So, you're a good guy. But talking to God about our struggles and talking to God about what we're on the cusp of thinking about doing or dealing with or being tempted towards, it feels awkward. It feels as awkward as the conversation with Mauricio looks. Mauricio, you guys okay, you better get back up because I want to steal it. It feels that awkward. But guess what? When we understand the fullness of grace, it's not that awkward at all. That's actually where the power is to walk in freshness of life. We need to invite him into that place we need to invite him in my mentor that uh, raised me up is a man named john holler and he has a son that i ministered along with a number of years ago and uh, we were both on staff at church and i had been on staff i don't know been in ministry five six years maybe seven years at this point and um Anyways, whenever I was in school, my parents did not allow foul language in our household. And I'd have got uh, in trouble. I'd gotten the old licks before. I'd had the soap. My mom made me dial soap. is nasty, and it hurts your throat. It's child abuse. And so, <laughs> and um, anyways, but uh, I, I just knew, I just knew that I, that wasn't supposed to happen. And so I got really good at not dropping any bad words at home. And I'd get out of the house and I'd get in the car with my buddies and it would be boom, boom, boom. Just blank, 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 like crazy. Be gone with them. Blank, 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 blank. Beep, beep, beep. And then get home, walk in the door. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. You know, all was good. 
And I did this for you, I did this for years. And as I came to, to ASU and began to become a, a real serious about my, my life in Christ and, and really began to like that, I don't need to be having that kind of language. That's just not appropriate. And um, so, but I was struggling with it. And I was like, God, you know, I, I'm going to need some help on this because, you know, I just kind of can't control it. And the Holy Spirit was like, bull, um, you control around your parents all the time. <laughs> and so you, uh, you control around them all the time. You just don't want to. And I was like, okay, Lord, well, then help me to want to. And begin to walk into that different place. Well, I got broken from that. I got freed from it. And I, I didn't have a, a cursing problem anymore. And so I had plenty of other stuff to deal with, but I didn't, I didn't cuss. And so, um, anyways, but about, I don't know, about six years into ministry, I just have a, one day that just some, some stuff doesn't go right, and I can just feel the F word just right there. And just, it's like, grab it with your toes. Oh, my, don't let it out. And so, and I just like four or five times just kept something was happening. And I just feel it. And so finally, Eric and I are driving around, and we're um, running some errands, and something happened. Somebody cut, us, cut me off in traffic or something. I was like, that's it. Eric, I, I just pray for me. I can just feel that I'm just about to drop the F-bomb like any minute now. And he's like, all right. So Eric reaches over, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he prays for me there in the van, and, and it's just dealt with. I haven't, haven't had to deal with it again since. And so, but part of it is, is it was embarrassing. I was a youth pastor. I guarantee the, the, the parents were hoping that I did not uh, speak like that. They were hoping that the guy who led Planet X wasn't saying, ah, blah, 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 blah. And so, and, you know, and so uh, they were hoping that was not going down. And, uh, and so, but when it was all said and done, I was, I was thankful. I was thankful to be able to get that out. And if you've got a custom problem, that's all right. So we love you. So we love you a lot. And so, um, but the, uh, the thing that I was so thankful for and the thing that was the most insidious that was trying to weasel its, its way up is it wasn't some four-letter words. It was the practice of me having a, a, a fake life. That if I would have began to give some room for that and begin to let, because every time it was just when I was by myself. Every time it was there when I was alone, except for that one time whenever I was with Eric. And then I just caught it and I just... But the danger was that I'd start living a double life as a minister and start having one thing that I did in public, and I kept all my stuff together and did all of this in one scene, and then I'd get in a private deal and begin to have a different kind of life. And I guarantee you that was more insidious and that was more dangerous than me periodically slipping up and saying a word that doesn't belong. And I thank God that the Holy Spirit allowed for that to be rooted out and taken out. But we had to invite Him into that place. I had to be vulnerable with somebody else who could have looked at me sideways and, and, and thought, thought less of me. And praise God, he just, he just prayed for me. But I'm here to tell you, we need to talk to God in those moments. See, our greatest temptations as we close is, is to go through life like God isn't there. You're like, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christ follower. What do you mean our greatest temptation is to go through life like God isn't there? 
But when, there's a, when temptation comes our way, our greatest temptation is to see God as some distant judge that we don't want to violate and he's somewhere far off instead of right here with us in the middle of it and inviting him in. The first thing when that temptation comes, we have to resist the temptation to push God out of that equation. And we have to say, God, all right, I'm here. You're here. Let's talk about this. This is what's going on. God, this is the path that I, I'm seriously, I'm just about to go down this path. Lord, help me. Lord, seriously, Lord, I, 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 you know, I clicked on some things I shouldn't have clicked on, and you know that, Lord. But, Lord, it has awakened this appetite, Lord, and I've got a phone number in my phone, and I'm going to call it, and I know they will answer. And, Lord, I need some help because I'm going to wreck my family, and I'm going to wreck my life, and I'm going to wreck all these different things. Lord, you know the financial stress I'm under, and you know what all of these different stuff costs with the kids, and, God, I know the safe. I know when they put the money in. I know when they actually count it. I know that window of time when nobody knows exactly how much cash is sitting there. And God, I need some help because I'm so stressed. I'm probably going to take a few hundred, Lord. I'm probably going to do it. And I'm going to put my life and my career on the line. God, God, help me. And invite him into those moments. Don't act like he's some judge who's going to bring the gavel down if you fail it. But that he's a God who's alive and empowering who's going to help you get through it and win in that situation. That's where we get unstuck is when we understand the strength of who he is. See, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk in the, by the Spirit. Walk right there with the Spirit of God. And you won't gratify the desires or the appetites of the flesh. Folks, we want to live an unstuck life. We've got to invite God into the murky middle. Not just the places where we said, God, I'm sorry. I did that for the last time. I want your forgiveness. And now I'm going to do better. When we didn't the last time we said that. Or all the times where we feel like we've really made him proud and we want to shout some praises and feel like we're an awesome Christian. Let's invite him into that murky middle where we're like, God, I'm not really sure how this is going to go down. And I'm really concerned it's not going to go well. Lord, help me here. I'm telling you, it'll change lives forever. It'll change lives forever. Our bottom line is, is you're never too stuck to run to God. See, God loves us enough to meet us right where we are. And he loves us enough to not leave us there. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.